When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What we see and what we seem are but a dream, a dream within a dream. We must learn to love someone else apart from me, Sarah. I won't be here much longer. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. This week is a me pick. Uh, And so what are we watching, Dan? Picnic at Hanging Rock. Picnic at Hanging Rock from 1975, directed by Peter Weir, early movie for him, uh, and adapted from the novel by Joan Lindsay uh, by Cliff Green for the the screen. So I watched it and loved it. I forced you to watch it. I have absolutely no idea what you think about this movie. So Dan, what do you think? This movie is exactly why it, why we have this podcast. If if this if you know if this podcast had not invented us, we would have to invent this podcast for this movie because this is the movie you watch alone and then walk out of your your house and 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 you just you're like I have to talk to somebody about this and I don't want to read about it on the internet. I want to have a conversation. So I'm so glad you picked this. I thought it was unbelievable. It's another one of those movies you watch and you say, "How did I make it this far in my adult life?" without it's, knowing it, about this it's got everything we like and so yeah. i i have no idea because i i only saw i saw it a week before i suggested it to you yeah and i had heard about it like i'd read about it the australian new wave but it's one of those movies that's like in the back like in the margins of your life right and then you actually sit down and you watch it and you're like well i was not ready for this so i, I want to start part one by uh, i have a secret list here in my hand like we used to do in podcasts of old of and i'm gonna, here's my secret list and i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a little reaction quiz it's like a word association quiz you ready this is a list a partial list only of movies that i thought about while i was watching this one so i'm going to say the movie title and you're going to tell me why why i thought of this movie when i was watching picnic and hanger rock you ready okay black narcissus a uh, group of women slowly going mad yeah don't look now uh super slow burn and then wait what um the prime of machine brody uh, schoolmasters and uh, claustrophobic a- atmosphere of adult influence along the same lines. Diabolique, unbelievable uh, cinematic trickery as well. You 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 don't think that those effects should be possible? They don't seem like nineteen seventy five effects. A gear, the wrath of God. How is this movie so stilted and yet it works all the time? Twin Peaks. I can't believe I'm watching this, but if I miss one, uh, I, I'm I'm just going to lose my mind. And the last one is 2001. How could a movie be this disjointed, but say so- something about every facet of my life? Great. You, you pass with flying colors. And I want to say more about 2001 a little later, but I want to hear your overall take on the movie. So when I 
finished the movie. I watched it with my wife and I asked her what she thought and she didn't know what to say. And I said, okay, what kind of movie do you think it is? And even that she was like, I don't know what kind of movie it is. And I said, it's a horror movie. It might be the greatest horror movie I've ever seen. It's totally a horror movie. Beca- it's 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 a horror movie along the lines of why Seinfeld works as a show. It's a horror movie about nothing. It's a horror movie where the monster is the absence of a monster, but everybody's terrified. And I thought, what a great trick that is. That it that doesn't it doesn't seem like you should be able to build a movie on those lines. It doesn't really seem like that should work. But boy, does it. It also has it has quasi Shakespearean gimmicks that shouldn't work. It has, uh, you know, brother and sister separated. at Yeah, birth. we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. You know, that that should work. But for whatever reason, it does work through disjointed conversations had at different times. And it shouldn't work because it, it runs the danger of being too cute like that you're not getting the answer to the mystery. And that's why I thought of Twin Peaks, right? Because the fun of Twin Peaks, when we watched it, when it first came out, was that like, you realize at a certain, not only because it's David Lynch, but you realize at a certain point, like, oh, like who killed Laura Palmer? That's just like the hook on which all this other stuff is hung. And at the end, we'll get into really who killed Laura Palmer. And you're like, okay, fine. But th- like, that's not the point of it, right? Like, th- like the point of The Big Sleep is not for Humphrey Bogart to figure out who's been blackmailing General Sternwood. The point is for Humphrey Bogart to enter this world of corruption and vice and try to navigate his way out of it. So I, I, that's what I love about it is that it, it could run the risk of saying, well... You know, what do you think the mystery is? It's up to your interpretation. But it's it's Peter Weir doesn't even get, he's not even interested in that about what happens at the top of it's the rock. A, <laughs> so I think that what the the movie's about is a tension that you enter into, but you don't have to live with for that long, which is that the psyches of these people and the society in which they live is so utterly fragile that even one little stone out of place will undo it. And then Peter Ware says, what if I just dropped a big old rock on it and, and see what happens? And so and so it's the collapse of people inside and outside and in the structures that they live because they were they were so fragile put in the first place, but they were convinced that they lived on solid ground. Miss Appleyard thinks that her rules are the rules that govern the universe. And all they have to do is take a carriage ride to Hanging Rock. And then all of a sudden the universe has other ideas. So let me let me let me uh, go back to 2001 because I want to mention that in the first segment. What I loved about this movie, as I thought about it more and did what you call the Dan, is this: what happens at the top of Hanging Rock, right? So we're never told the answer, and and that's good. We know that something something for both. Like there's all those shots from like inside the rock as people walk by, as the young English guy walks by. So you get the sense that you're being watched, right? I think what's great about it is that what happens at the top of that mountain when the three girls walk into that crevice and remember you just see the backs of their heads and it's in slow motion and you get the sense that something terrible is happening and then edith screams what happened at the top is like what happens at the end of 2001 i think that you know stanley kubrick says okay you have this idea the human race is going to be reborn there's some kind of divinity or some kind of alien intelligence watching over us it's going to guide us but 
that would be beyond our comprehension. Like you can't have James Mason come down and talk to Warren Beatty and say, I'm an angel. Like here's how the afterlife works. Like it's way beyond that. Right. So that's, what's great about the last 20 minutes of 2001. So bear with me. You get this. It's like a, it's like a metaphor, but it's also a story at the same time. So you have Dave Bowman in the bed. He gets older. He reaches out. He becomes a giant baby because it's also a metaphor for the human race being reborn. Like it's, it's, you're watching it happen, but it's also a metaphor because it's beyond what you can understand. And I think, that's what goes on in this movie is that the movie's about people gaining some kind of knowledge or some kind of access to a world outside of their usual Miss Appleyard school. And, and, you know, what would that be like? And that um, the, the mystery of 2001 at the end is like the mystery of what happens at the top of that mountain. And if you're Miss Appleyard, you, you couldn't live. It would be like trying to survive without oxygen. Right. Because, she literally lives in an airlock yeah. of her own psyche and it's suddenly burst. Yeah. And what's great is that you think like you're teased into the movie. You think it's going to be some kind of like strange, like sexual thing, right? Cause they're all the virgins. They're all in white. They go up there, but then the doctor keeps saying, no, she was intact. She was intact. Right. And it wasn't it. But then like, you know, the other, the other teacher goes up there, uh, Miss McGraw and like, she didn't have her, she didn't have her skirt on and, and like, and they take their stockings off. So there's some kind of, hint about that but that's not what happens but it's something scary enough that makes edith do that piercing scream and makes you upset as well because to, to, to access that kind of knowledge when you live in miss Appleyard's school is scary it is like a horror movie they and they conduct some kind of interest of their own together as a group that they don't necessarily individually there's there's something about them as a group which is why they have to have the one girl who doesn't fit in. Yeah. Uh, it's, like the Brody set. it's like the Brody set, the Brody set and also not disappear. Welcome back. So in part two, of course, we like to talk about our key scenes. Dan, what's yours? So mine is when Irma comes back. So you have to have a survivor. She comes back. She can't talk about it. She can't say what happened up there. She walks in this room with this red dress on. I mean, again, that's what made me think about Black Narcissus, right? She walks in. I have this special knowledge now. She walks in. Everyone screams. And then we see Sarah has been strapped to the wall to correct her posture. Now, Miss Appleyard detests Sarah. She doesn't like her. Uh, Miss Appleyard is a snob. Sarah is a charity case. Um, Sarah also wants to do her own thing, but I think what's great about that moment when she's strapped to the wall is that that's what, that's what the school is supposed to do. It's supposed to strap you to the wall, right? You're going to follow all our rules. You're going to memorize the wreck of the Hesperus. It doesn't, can I, can I read my own poem? Who wrote that? You're not going to write your own poems is that it's, it's, it's all rigid. I mean, Miss Appleyard is great. I mean, she, her hair looks like Gary Oldman's in Dracula. And I think that what's great is that the kids go to another to be cute here, Apple Yard. The kids go to, you know, the Garden of Eden. They go to a place of knowledge where we're told there's poisonous snakes out there and they get some kind of, of, of secret knowledge. So the school is all about corsets. There's that famous scene in the beginning where the four girls are like doing their corsets, right? We've all seen that. Um, it's a place where sex all has to happen in secret, like with the gardener, the whole lady Chatterley's the gardener and the, and the maid are carrying on where like Sarah has her hidden desires. It's all schedules. It's all rules. I love when they get in the carriage and she says, you may remove your gloves once you, once you, once you leave the town. Right. But then they get to the rock and, and the first thing that happens when they get to the rock is that all their clocks stop. Like time stops, you know, the school is all about time and schedule. You have to be back by eight o'clock and you're going to do these things. But then you get to this other place. It's like college or something. You get to this other place and time just stops. And then you go barefoot 
and, and eventually, you know, that, that somehow consumes you and you can't put that genie back in the bottle, which is why I think at the very end, we find out Miss Appleyard kills herself. She goes there. Right. And it's like, um, you know, it's like an Indiana, Indiana Jones movie where, where uh, you know, she's going, I want to know, I want to know. And the knowledge kind of kills her. So I think it's the movie does a great job of contrasting those two places. Well, speaking of repression and freedom, uh, my moment is when uh, Michael early on is sitting with his aunt and uncle. Yeah, they and look, they're, they're having they're, a great time. They're arguing. Yeah, they're, don't they? And they're arguing about whether or not it's time for Albert to come clear the plates. The coachman. <laughs> You know, so so they get Michael to go over to him um, where he's sitting by himself drinking and actually looking like he's enjoying his lunch. And he looks at him and he goes, I guess they think it's time for me to clear their plates. Eh? And, you know, and that's that's repression and freedom. But the, the interesting thing about that tension or the way that it's humorously set up, humorously set up between Michael and Albert is you say, OK, well, well, what would be wrong with a little release? What would be wrong with a little bit of release? from the tension or not being strapped to the wall. And I think you said the answer, which is, well, you can't go back for whatever reason, right? You can't go back. And so there's, there's almost a quasi argument for structure, even as, as structure is totally being dismantled because what is freedom? Like freedom is like non-existence. And in fact, it's, it's Michael later who tells Albert, no, I have to go out there. Right. Yeah. Because, because what you write, who what's honor and who has it right him that right. vanished a Wednesday right and and but he's got to go back out on horseback and try to find and try to find the girls and try to figure out what happened and he's just so close and then Albert catches the same bug right yeah. and so what's it like to walk back from from structure from you know structure and chaos yeah and so right chaos just seems so free and I think that's what Albert's supposed to represent that's what's the gardener supposed to represent you know, what's wrong with a little bit of sneaking around? There's nothing wrong with it, except that you vanish, except that you disappear, except that's what the happens to desire. Yeah. The old you disappears because you're right. You can't go back again. You know, sil silly example of that. You remember um, you go to college the first time you're out of your house. Maybe you're living in a dorm and then you come back for like, you know, winter break or something. And like your whole house with your parents shuts down at like 11 o'clock at night. And you're like, well, wait a minute. This is like when my friends and I would kind of figure out what we felt like doing tonight. Like, like the, you can't go back once you've had this taste of freedom. Well, and someone that looks like you may go back, <laughs> yeah. but the but you that you. the you that the you that they drop off and say goodbye to, they never see again. Yeah, because you know Miranda may look like a like one of Botticelli's angels, but she's but now she's going to become something else. So in part three, we always talk about the ending or the title. And before we do that, Mike, I want to ask you a question. In the film, we find out that Sarah, who dies at the end by either jumping or being pushed out of that window through the greenhouse, trying to find her own Garden of Eden, we find out at the end that she, the charity case, the orphan, actually had a brother named Bertie, who she dreams about. And we find out that he's the guy you were talking about before, the guy who gets his dose of freedom, who's the, who's the servant to, to the British. And we're meant to be shocked by that or surprised because it's withheld from us at the very end that those two are brothers and sisters. And you mentioned it before. It's kind of like a Shakespearean thing, like Twelfth Night. But like, why do you think that's in the movie? A, a couple of reasons. I think that what makes the movie work is that if you're utterly convinced that physical reality is literal through all these devices, as in something must have happened to the girls 
your sense of mystery for what's going on in the movie will vanish. And so I think one thing that points towards something else that's on Hanging Rock is the fact that your dead sister can talk to you in a dream or 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 can communicate with you. So I think that there's some gesture towards the same mysterious glue that actually restructures the universe or holds it together, but it doesn't explain what it is. So partially, I think the device also works because it's a taste of an explanation, but it's an explanation to a mystery that you didn't know was a mystery, right, yeah. which is right. Because every um, one of the <laughs> stories, one of the stories about this movie is that when they screened it for an American producer, he threw his coffee yeah. cup at the yeah. screen. Because he, he you know, that's, that's the answer. What's the that's answer? Their, you know, that's their famous right. Australian take on, you know, why right. this movie wasn't going to do well in America. Yeah. Why Americans uh, are Americans are boobs. Yeah, right. Why Americans are boobs. But so part of so part of that coming from inside the world is of the film is let me wrap up a mystery for you and see how you like it and you go why am i yeah it's like why am i being told this yeah um and so but but i think that they're both drawn from outside structure i i think that that part of the problem is that sarah is not even adequately structured to disappear on hanging rock She's got to disappear the good old fashioned way. But I, I think that the that the taste of a solution or if you want like an, an anti-solution, which is not the solution to the solution that you want, <laughs> gestures back towards what's going on in the movie. The real world, the gestures without the real world without actually puncture. But the, the real world being things that cannot be real. Yeah. Right. And, you, and you full of mysteries like that. Like, like you're this close to your long, long sister. You're physically this close to her. There, there's there's grand ideas in the film about what conjures up mystery. Youth clearly conjures up mystery. Time clearly conjures up mystery. Nature, the natural Fa- world. Family clearly conjures up mystery. And so the, the, the answer to the question is, which of these is this movie about? And the answer that the movie gives you is yes. <laughs> but it won't let you... It won't no, the answer, bo- the, movie, the answer the movie gives you is seven. Right, but but it won't but it won't let you believe that there's none, right? Be, because as soon as you believe that there's none, they'll tell you that someone communicated with their dead sister psychically at the time just after she committed suicide, and 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 so what may have gone dormant or what may have lost its steam through the movie, it suddenly comes back to life for the finale. Which is like, don't look now, right? Don't look now is, oh, I think the ghost of my drowned daughter keeps coming back to me and I keep seeing her in the street. And the movie says, well, actually, it's a it's a malicious, evil, serial killing dwarf. And so what do you make of the end? Anything else on the ending or the title? Well, so so the so the question has to be, what does Miss Appleyard know? And what does she not know? What does she know about Sarah before what happens to Sarah? Well, she, I think she knows, I think she knows that Sarah is in love with Miranda and that's why she keeps trying to punish her. That's, that's why she's not allowed to go to the picnic. That's obvious. What, how much does she know about her? How much does she know? I'm about, sorry. I'm doing my best. I'm sorry. <laughs> how much does she know about how Sarah ended up in the greenhouse? Oh, well, you don't know because she's, because she lies. She tells the story says, oh, they, they came and took her away. And, and like, right. She, she, she knows what happened. So she either saw it happen or told her to do it or pushed her out the window. But somehow she's responsible because right after that, she's all in mourning and, and she lies uh, um, about what happened to Sarah. And then she goes to the rock. Yeah. And and you I think you said the key word, which is she's responsible. Yeah, I, there's there's something about <laughs> what happens to the girls 
which is part of them or it's they're the conduit for whatever's happening, but they're not responsible. Somehow Mrs. Appleyard is responsible yes. for what happens to the girls. And then legally, the reason that she's that she's falling into penury is because all the parents hold her responsible. Yes. And then we're not sure what happens to Sarah. Exactly what you just said. Did she tell her to commit suicide? Did she push her? Did she just leave her alone and not offer her comfort at the key moment? But somehow she's responsible. And I think that the beautiful thing that this movie does is though it does not explain what's going on, it offers you a kind of equation with Miss Appleyard at the other end of the equal sign. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening to our conversation about Picnic and Hanging Rock. A terrific, terrific pick, Mike. Follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. Also follow us on Letterbox. Letterbox. And let us know what to watch next. Thanks. See you next time. Bye.